Good morning. He is risen. It is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful day to be together. We welcome you this morning to Big Woods Bible Church. If you have your scripture, I invite you to take them and turn with me to Matthew chapter 27 as we consider six words that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke that promised us. It is, it is an amazing thing to behold our God. I was reading my notes last night, and you, you saw it out my window. I can see from the chair that I read in with my lamp, and, and the clouds last night moved away, and there was this full moon. I went to Genesis chapter 1 in verse 17 and God spoke these words. He just said this. He said, let there be light. And there was light. In verse 17 it says, I'll make two lights, one to rule the day and I'll make one to rule the night. And it, and it ruled last night. The, the God who spoke those words the one that we behold this morning, I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as we celebrate his resurrection. The fact that we live and we serve, we're given breath by a risen Savior. I know there's people that are here today that thought, didn't we just do this? Like, do I have to go there again? Really? Yeah, yeah. Some of you who came here, like, because, because you promised me that you would come. I welcome every single one of you to hear what the Lord has for us this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me before we go into his word and listen and learn this morning. Father, we love you. I thank you for who you are. We thank you that we gather in, in your name on, on your day, we thank you, Lord, for the reason that we gather as we celebrate the resurrection. I thank you for every single person that's here today. I thank you, Lord, for those that you have given ears to hear. And may they this morning hear a word from you, not from a man. May you be the focus. May you be glorified with every word that is spoken. Please help me. I need your help this morning. We love you. We thank you for loving us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. There are many, many parts to this season, to this day, Easter, that I, I love. I don't think I'm the only one. We have watched what springtime is the flowers blossom and bloom and there's new life and and we look forward to families gathering this afternoon and enjoying food together I, I love to watch the kids that are dying the easter eggs and you know like the absolute mess where there is there's like food coloring all over the place all over faces i love those parts I love the Cadbury Easter eggs, the little ones with the hard shell, but also the big ones with the, the yellow gooey stuff that just drips. I love Easter season. I love as we look into the Word of God, those seemingly uh, 
tiny details that often go unnoticed. That, that the angel sat on the stone when it was moved. Intrigued by that. I've always been intrigued with the fact that Peter and John got word and they ran to the tomb. And it says that John outran Peter. But John stopped at the edge and then Peter went in the tomb first. Those little details, it says that the soldiers became like dead men. I love the details of Easter, but, but I don't like anything. I don't like anything as much as I love that one question. The angel asked, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? He's not here. And I love to say, and I love to hear the words being spoken. He has risen. Not, not only is the resurrection of Jesus what the main event in Christianity. Let me remind you of this. It is, it is what? It is the most significant event in all of history. We gather on this very day, on the first day of the week on Sunday, because of the resurrection. You write the date at the top of your paper. Or you enter it on your computer and you hit what? Enter and automatically it shows up. April, the 27th, April 17th, 2022 A.D. Anno Domino Nostri Jesus Christos. In the year of our risen Lord Jesus Christ. The empty tomb, this subject that we gather, it literally touches all of history. Without it, the cross, even the cross, would be meaningless. It would be powerless. Forgiveness would not exist. Redemption could not exist. The Apostle Paul says what? If there was not the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, then what? Your very faith is futile that you would still be in your sins. Which means what? You can walk out, you can turn off the lights, lock the doors, and we would never need to meet again if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. The resurrection is the cornerstone of the gospel. It is the main theme of our praise. It is the reason that we worship. It is the pinnacle event of every word that Jesus said, every movement and miracle that he ever did. It is important. It is significant. It's significant. Why? Let's, let's think real time. The resurrection is significant because we have a significant problem. It's a problem that people have been trying to solve for millennia. To solve it, the greatest, brightest, and smartest scientists have been dispatched and been tirelessly working on it. World-renowned medical professionals and educators and theorists and thinkers have gathered both public and private sectors, sectors have spent billions upon billions of dollars trying to solve this problem. Conferences and councils and cohorts have been called. Schools have been started. Government agencies have been established. Foundations have been founded. We've been able to identify the problem. We know what it looks like when we see it. And in some rare cases, we're able to delay the problem just for brief periods of time. But it still exists. 
Some people close their eyes and stop their ears. They try to ignore it, deny it, run from it, or hide from it. But it always finds them. It's like an enemy that hunts and lurks and haunts. Sometimes it jumps out and shocks or surprises people. And then other times, it's like this enemy just knocks on the door, the front door, announces his presence, and walks right in. And you can't do a thing about it. The resurrection is significant because we have a significant problem, and the problem is what? It's death. The statistics are quite impressive. One out of one people die. It's, it's almost crazy to think. In 1400 BC, Moses wrote Psalm chapter 90. And he says this, The years of our life are threescore and ten. That's seventy. Or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble, and they are soon gone. Those words were written almost three and a half thousand years ago. Do you know what the life expectancy is for an American today? For us gathered here, 78.7 years. Exactly where scripture says it would be. And yet on this day, we are reminded what? There is no physical solution. There's no solution for the problem that we have on this earth. There's no physical solution for death. But there is a solution. And it's found in these six words that I want to address your attention to today. Where Jesus is quoted as saying, After three days, I will rise. Now you and I have to admit, we hear a lot. We hear things, people say stuff all the time. They make promises to, to us. You ever hear this? I promise, I promise, I won't laugh. <laughs> you ever hear this? I promise you, I will not lie to you. Yeah, right. We hear words all the time. I'm not, I'm not going to hurt you. You can trust me on that. I will not leave you. We hear promises. Here it is. Vote for me. And all of your dreams will come true. We hear, trust me. When you hear enough, what happens? We get pretty cynical. We get pretty skeptical. Matter of fact, if we're honest, we get downright critical. Yet we have these words. After three days... I will rise again. No, not the only time. This, this goes all the way through Scripture. Jonah chapter 1, Hosea chapter 6. There's this prophecy that Jesus says after three days. Three times in the Gospel of Mark it says after three days. Jesus is making a point here. He wants us to hold on to something, remember something. What I love about, another thing I love is this whole idea that we, we gather together. There's something about being together I just think is cool. I love it. People gather together as a local church 
And what I found is this, is that people find themselves in church on Easter Sunday who normally don't find themselves in church. But what I have found is that if even you talk to somebody who darkens the door today that never is here, they still kind of know bits and pieces of the story. They don't know all the details, but people, what, we know what happened last Sunday on Palm Sunday, Hosanna. Remember the branches? Everybody gives out these branches. Somebody said, why didn't they give out any branches? I, I, sorry. And we kind of know bits and pieces of the story, even if you're not a churchy person. You remember hearing about the upper room and about that, that bread and, and the cup that are shared the last supper? Jesus washes the disciples' feet. We've seen images, paintings, and pictures of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we've heard about this guy Judas. And like, like he turns on his own. He betrays. Jesus is arrested. He goes before this trial. And we know what? We've seen the movie. It's like horrific. There's, there's, there's whipping and beating and there's spitting and mocking. And we kind of know this story Jesus' Jesus's own mother was there. Can, can you just imagine the pain for a moment as a, as, as a mama watching? That's my boy who, who is literally being tortured. Can you just imagine the pain? And we've heard about the earthquake and the darkness and the veil that was rent. And we kind of know these stories of this week, bits and pieces. We know what happened on Thursday night and Friday Jesus was crucified. And we certainly know what happened on Sunday. We celebrate that. That's why we're here. But I want to think for a moment. I want to talk for a moment. What about the day in between? A lot of people don't know that it's just simply referred to as the silent day. You see, it's actually on this day that Jesus, he's just lying dead in the grave, and you realize he's still being quoted. His words are our text for this morning. It's a brief text. We direct your attention to the words, kind of setting the context in Matthew chapter 27. It begins in 62. The, the next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and, and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he's risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be the worse, will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now, if, if you recall, Friday, what, is, it's referred to as the day of preparation. You're preparing for Saturday. We do the same thing. The weekend's coming. It's called Shabbat, or the Sabbath. 
And these words were spoken by the chief priests and the Pharisees who came to Pilate, who was the Roman ruler, the authority of the day, for permission to, to set a guard over a dead person. And here's the reason. Just in case. Because they, they remember what he said. And you have to realize the chief priests are, are referred to as the Sadducees. The Sadducees and the Pharisees never, ever get along. Think Yankees Red Sox for a moment. They never will agree. The only thing they had in common was what the common motivation of having a shared hatred for Jesus. That's the only thing that they all agreed on. They hated this one guy. And if you think about it, what? He is dead. Unlike the way Miracle Max would say, oh, he's only mostly dead. No, no. He's all dead. From every single angle, any way you look at it, for all apparent purposes, what? They won. They won. Jesus had been a threat to their influence. He had been an absolute annoyance to their traditions. He had what? Caused a disturbance to their corner market religiosity. The so-called Son of God. The self-proclaimed Messiah had been turned over. He had been tortured and publicly executed. It was visible. It was unmistakable. He had bled out. He had stopped breathing. He was dead. What are they worried about? What, what more could they want? And yet something deep down inside disturbed them. And these words were remembered by them. They resonated. For some reason, these six words, they could not be forgotten. And maybe it was just the tone that he had used. Because they remember. It was like when he spoke to them, there was so much confidence and assurance. After three days, I will rise. Or perhaps what? It could have been the many, many miracles that they had witnessed. They knew the blind guy been blind his entire life and they knew he was blind and they couldn't explain the fact that for some reason he's now able to see they, they saw the 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 leper with skin that had what it had what swollen and burst no one would go near and then they saw that his skin was was perfect it was beautiful they they saw these things they saw the woman who had been forgiven. The demon-possessed boy who was sitting calm and clothed in his right mind talking about Jesus. They were there. They felt the earth shake. They saw the curtain that had been torn in two. It was unmistakable. They heard about that Lazarus guy. All of this was enough for them to think, what if, what if, I love how Matthew Henry describes this, this scene, this particular day. All that day, Christ lay dead in the grave. Having for six days labored, he had done all of his work. On the seventh day, he rested and he was refreshed. 
Back to the narrative, back to the story. Pilate, we need your help on this. We need more men. And the request, if you recall, it was quickly rebuffed. Pilate said, you got your own guards. Temple security had been provided. Use them. Pilate, in a sense, says what I'm done. I've already washed my hands of him. You go and you make it as tight as you can. Make it as secure as you want. So the guard was set, the tomb was sealed, and all was quiet. Armed guards guarding a dead man. It makes no sense. And I don't have a shadow of a doubt that that night, as every single one of those Pharisees and Sadducees fell asleep, they were thinking about those six words, after three days, I will rise. After three days, I will rise. And I don't have a shadow of a doubt that they were terrified at the very thought. Friday night, all day Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday morning. And just stop right here for a moment. If you think the words of Jesus Christ had power before the resurrection, let me tell you this. Everything that Jesus Christ says after the resurrection has even greater power. Why? Because if there was, if, if, if there was any doubt, any reason to question, any cause to wonder, all of it, all of it had dissipated, was removed. So, so when Jesus made this comment in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Yeah, right. Yeah, we've heard lots of stuff before. Who does he think he is? And yet, after the resurrection, when Jesus Christ says what? I am the resurrection and the life. Everything changes. No, no, no wonder that the very next chapter... Matthew's gospel closes with all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. And we know what happened. As those women came to the tomb early in the morning and it was still dark. And the angel asked that question, why... why? Why are you looking for the resurrection and the life? Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? Let's, let's fast forward 2,000 years. You, you realize that there are still people, and there are perhaps even people that are sitting and listening here this morning that still question and they still doubt the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Growing in popularity actually is a belief that is expressed by Reverend Lorraine Cavanaugh, who is an Anglican priest who writes, preaches, consults about Christian spirituality for those that are not part of the worshiping tradition. And she promotes a liberal theology. And she says this, I quote, 
I, I think people are being asked to believe in the way they might have been asked to believe when they were at Sunday school. You, you're, you're talking about adults here. And an adult faith requires that it be constantly questioned, constantly reinterpreted. Which, incidentally, is very much what modern church is actually about. Science, but also intellectual and philosophical thought has progressed. It has a trickle-down effect on just about everybody's lives. She writes, so to ask an adult to believe in the resurrection the way they did when they were at Sunday school simply won't do. And that's true of much of the key elements of the Christian faith. You realize that many people still refuse to believe and accept these six words of the Lord Jesus Christ. After three days, I will rise. And there are many theories. Well, this is really what happened. And I won't go through the details of every single one of them, but they're pretty self-explanatory. The stolen body theory. What? The disciples just stole the body. The whole thing's just a big lie. And yet, 11 of the 12 disciples were martyred for their faith. They were willing to be killed. And the twelfth one was boiled alive in oil. All because of a lie? Another theory is what? The hallucination theory that asserts that everyone who saw the resurrected Jesus was really on something. Every one of them. was some kind of a psychosis. Another theory is what? The mistaken identity theory. This states that all 12 disciples who spent virtually every single day with Jesus for three years, somehow just like, well, I thought you were Jesus. That's the mistaken identity theory. Here's another one. The disciples visited the wrong tomb theory. That doesn't need a lot of explanation. Yet this is the one that is gained the most ground. It's called uh, the swoon theory. Let me explain it. After Jesus' flesh had been ripped off of him from the Roman lashes, his hands and his feet pierced with six-inch spikes by which his entire body weight was supported for more than six hours trying to gasp for breath after he had a Roman spear driven up under his rib cage into his heart and lungs, which caused blood and water to flow out, all that, but he was not really dead. He was just unconscious. After three days with no food or water, he woke up, he unwrapped the grave clothes that were wrapped tightly around him with 75 pounds of spices interlaid throughout, moved a one to two ton stone, and walked seven miles to Emmaus. It's called the swoon theory. I have, I have gotten a splinter, and so have you. And you're calling in, like, this doesn't look good. Something doesn't look right. I have woke up in the middle of the night and stubbed my toe and limped for three days. Let, let, let me tell you this upon the authority of the word of God. You, 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 you got up and brushed your teeth and washed your face for some reason. And you're here gathered 
for some reason. Let, let me tell you this upon the authority of the word of God. Jesus really did live. Jesus really did die. Jesus really was entombed for three days. And guess what? Jesus really did come back to life again. He is risen. Resurrection was and is a pivotal point in biblical Christianity. And yet for some reason, just like when Paul was preaching in Acts chapter 17 in Athens, it says that he was preaching what? When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, there are certain responses to that. The same responses will be represented here this morning. The first response, it says what? After Paul in Athens was preaching, it says that some people heard about a, a man who was dead and he rose to life again. And it says very openly, it says they, they mocked him. They laughed at him. Prominent scientist and atheist Richard Dawkins says, and I quote, presumably, presumably what happened to Jesus was what happens to all of us when we die. We decompose. Accounts of Jesus' resurrection and ascension are about as well documented as Jack and the beanstalk. You can laugh. Some mocked. But let, let me assure you of this. The same Lord who said, after three days, I will rise, also said, I will not be mocked. So you can laugh now, but you will not be laughing later when it says that every single knee will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. Some mocked. It says that some said, we will hear you again about this. Where in a sense, it's, it's enough to like, wow. To at least like, hmm, well, maybe. Think about this. Even the harshest critics and skeptics. They were Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. They were intrigued enough when Paul was preaching the resurrection to say, you know what? I want to hear more. I will hear you again on this. But there's a problem with that. The sad thing is, they never did. Paul left Athens. And he never returned. Do not delay. It says in scriptures that today is the day of salvation. You don't put them off. Some mocked. Some said, I'll hear it later. I'll put it on my list of to-do things, to-do items. The third response, and this is what I would implore you to give attention to this morning. Because you can go to the bank with the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that some joined him and believed. Paul's great apologetic response to the resurrection was so clear. It was so concise, so convicting. It says a man by the name of Dionysus and a woman by the name of Damaris and others with them. Said we believe it. 500 witnesses saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. This morning, let me ask you this. What is your response to the six words that the Lord Jesus Christ, and not just the six words, but what is your response to the proof that has been given of Jesus' words? 
Calvin says it well, if we want pardon for sin's curse, that gift lies in his cross. Atonement we have in his sacrifice and cleansing in his blood. Our reconciliation was affected by his descent into hell. The mortification of our flesh lies in his burial and newness of life in his resurrection. The newness of our life lies in the resurrection of Jesus, though which we also have the hope of immortality. You, you realize what this great theologian is saying? That if you die apart from Christ, you die and you will be eternally separated from his presence. Depart from me because I never knew who you are. You, you realize you run the risk when you hear what? That there is a holy God. And there's us who are far from holy. And yet God loved us enough to offer his own son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die on the cross that you and I deserve because of our sinfulness. And yet we've been given an opportunity. We've been given this day, today, to be reminded that anything that you have ever done, we fall into the category, like, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just unworthy, I'm, I'm worse than everyone else. No, that's a lie. That Jesus paid the price for your sin. When we put our faith in him, it actually, what? It says that we have been justified. We have been declared righteous in the sight of a holy God. Not, not perfect. We are all far from perfect. We will step on one another's toes. We will bother and irritate and we will stumble and fall. But we're forgiven. And we are promised life eternal. Why? Because Jesus kept the words, kept the promise of his words. I am totally convinced today, more than any other time, we need to be reminded of the power of the resurrection of Jesus, where the dead are made alive. When there are people that are here this morning and you don't even know why you came. You came because somebody else wanted you to be here. You came to make somebody else happy. And yet for some reason, you would admit the fact that you are totally at the end of your rope. You are so physically exhausted. You are so emotionally spent and tired. Spiritually, I'm totally confused. I don't know what's up and I don't know what's down. And we wake up every single day wondering, can we make it through one more day? And we struggle with worries and fears and anxiety and anger. There's so much anger and confusion. You wake up with the question that says, who, who am I? Why am I here? Why even bother? Let, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be reminded that there is a solution to the greatest problem that we could ever face. It, it's, not, it's not immediate. It's not physical. It's not right here. Our bodies will what? They will, they will continue to hurt. And you and I will continue to get much, much less beautiful than we used to be. And we know that Every single one of us, one out of one people, will take our last breath. At that moment, it's too late to say, I believe that Jesus 
really did rise from the dead. You see, when we, we, we have no more, and we can offer no more, and we can't take another step, that, that, that's when you have to trust that God, God knows what you're going through. God sees you, and God loves you enough to offer his own son when you can't handle any more. Be assured that, that Jesus can. He, he came to what? Heal us and help us to rescue us, redeem us, to strengthen us and sustain us. Let me close by reading a couple verses. Let, let me just give you the, the, the hope that exists. Behold, I, I, I tell you a mystery, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, you're not here by accident. You're not here because somebody drugged you. You're here because God wanted to speak to you through his word. And he wants you to hear this. Trust me. Today, trust me. And so I want to offer that to you. If you know that you are a sinner, and that's every single one of us, we don't have to teach our kids to be little monsters. And we know what is deserving and what is the result. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I, I want you to know, don't, don't, don't race out of here. I'm going to be up front here, and I, and I would invite you to come. I'm going to have Pastor Aaron up front over here. And, and, and as we are singing, I would invite you to come and say, I know I'm a sinner. And I ask the Lord Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I know that I'm dead, but I want to be alive in Christ. And I would encourage you to be bold enough and brave enough. We're not going to make you speak. We're not going to talk to you and embarrass you. We just want to meet with you and pray with you and remind you that we are gathered together and that you are not alone. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love for us. Father, we ask that you would speak to hearts and draw them close to you, remind them of your grace and your mercy and your love. We give you all the glory and all the praise that you are a God who keeps your promise. Bless us now. I pray for those who you're speaking to. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.